Welcome to Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm Jim Dubois. Among Minnesota's most valued resources are our lakes, rivers, and streams. But those waters are increasingly threatened by aquatic invasive species, living things that are not native to our state. Aquatic invasive species include fishes, plants, invertebrates, and microbes that can harm our health, environment, and economy. The University of Minnesota's Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center has identified roughly three dozen such species. This week, a look at a program offered through the center that trains citizen scientists to monitor aquatic invasive species. We'll learn how these volunteers are providing researchers with the necessary data to help prevent the spread of these harmful animals and plants. We chatted with Megan Weber, an extension educator at the center, by phone. Megan, welcome to Dialogue Minnesota. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. What exactly is an invasive species? So when we define invasive species, what we're talking about is an organism that has moved outside of its natural range and usually being helped by some type of human activity. And it's an organism that also is causing some type of harm to the environment or the economy or to human health. Um, And invasive species aren't always coming from overseas or from other countries. They may come even from different regions of the United States, but just not be native to Minnesota, and that can sometimes cause issues for the species that we love here. Tell us about the aquatic invasive species that inhabit Minnesota, both plants and animals. I'll give maybe a cliff notes of a couple of different species that we have. So we, we do have a variety of plants, both ones that you find that are fully submerged in the water, all the way up to kind of wetland or more emergent species. We have animals like fish and invertebrates, like zebra mussels you might find. And we even have some invasive pathogens in Minnesota that can affect fish, like VHS. How do these aquatic invasive species find their way into Minnesota's waters? So in aquatic environments, um, the movement of invasive species is pretty strongly linked to human movement. So they might be hitchhiking a ride on like a boat or inside a bait bucket or a live well or something like that. We've seen instances recorded where they've been attached to a dock or a boat lift that was purchased and moved to a new water body. And, um, for example, like the mussels may not have been cleaned off, and that's caused a new population and that, that new water body. And we also find them as a result of people releasing, like, classroom pets or home pets or vegetation from home water gardens into natural water bodies. What are some of the most problematic aquatic invasive species in Minnesota? It can really depend on what part of the state you're in um, and even on individual water bodies on on which invasive species we're most worried about. One of the newer ones in Minnesota that's been of concern is called starry stonewort. It's actually an algae, um, but it grows quite tall. It looks just like, you know, kind of a grassy aquatic plant that you might find. And we have it now in about 15 different lakes in the state. It was first found here in 2015. That one, that one has been a new one of a pretty strong focus of research at the Minnesota Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center at the University of Minnesota, too, and one that we focus on pretty strongly in our programs. There's some also some better-known aquatic invasive species that can be fairly problematic. Um, zebra mussels, of course, being one of those, a, a small um, bivalve, so a little creature with two shells. It's a filter feeder, so it can pull out a lot of that important nutrient that we need for our native species from the water and 
clear up the lake, which seems like a really good thing, but that clearing can also indicate a reduction in that, that food resource. And we also have things like Eurasian water milfoil, um, which there's quite a bit of money spent in the state on, on trying to control that because it can really um, interfere with boating, aside from the um, environmental issues it can cause, too. Where are these aquatic invasive species typically found? Are there particular bodies of water in the state that are more susceptible to them than others? So um, boat launches are pretty commonplace where we might first find a new population of aquatic invasive species. Again, that's that connection between human movement for them. But we do, we do have aquatic invasives in the state that can inhabit areas, again, all the way from those wetland or near shore areas. Something like purple loosestrife or um, invasive phragmites would be examples of that, all the way to animals like spiny water flea that are free-floating in the middle of some of the largest lakes that we have in the state. So you can find an aquatic invasive species in just about any kind of environment in the state, but each lake will be a little bit different in how susceptible it is to any particular organism. As an example, in Minnesota, lakes that we have that have fairly low calcium levels are are not likely at very high risk for having zebra mussels, but that same lake could still have plenty of suitable habitat for something like Eurasian water milfoil. So this is one of the questions that um, researchers at the Research Center have been focusing on, too, and trying to do some risk modeling that are species-specific, so looking at those um, water quality conditions that might make a habitat better or worse for any particular organism, and even matching that up to some of the data we have about known boater movements, too, to kind of see where are the lakes in the state where we might have the most risk for any particular species. So there's some available now even on the the Research Center's website um, for starry stonewort and uh, zebra mussels. What damage do these invasive species do to our environment? This is another thing that will kind of depend on, on which organism it is that we're talking about. But some of the common types of impacts we see from aquatic invasive species can include the displacement of some of our critical native species. So you might see, for example, with plants, single species dense stands of of just that one type of plant. Um, And that can be damaging in a couple of ways. One, you know, it it gets quite dense, so there's, there's less room. It's a real change to that habitat structure. So we like to think of the plant communities underwater like an underwater forest. And when you lose that really nice, beautiful structure that you get when you have a diverse native plant community, it can change the way that fish might use it for shelter or for nurseries, or it can change, you know, availability of food for species. Some of the other types of things that we might see, um, for example, with some of the animals like spiny water flea or zebra mussels, or even for something like a big head or silver carp, they're all, they're all filter feeders. Like I had mentioned before, that means that they, they can change how much food is available for other important native species like young fish, other um, zooplankton, so tiny little animals that are floating around in the water. But those, those are typically some of the things that we're really thinking about with environmental damage for aquatic invasive species. Megan Weber is an extension educator at the Minnesota Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center and University of Minnesota Extension. Megan's work focuses on the development and delivery of volunteer and citizen science programs that work towards solutions to aquatic invasive species problems. How quickly are the aquatic invasive species spreading throughout Minnesota? It's another one. I think I'll probably say this a lot, but it'll depend on the species for for how we see that spread and kind of which ways that species might spread across the state. We do certainly see new populations um, pop up of things 
like Eurasian water milfoil or zebra mussels each year. I think in general, we, we do a pretty good job in Minnesota, especially in comparison um, to, to some of the neighboring states in, in, our, in our prevention efforts to, to make sure we're minimizing um, that spread. And, and we do still see that a majority of our lakes do not have um, aquatic invasive species. So, so there's, still, there's still plenty of um, room for our prevention efforts and, and to keep improving what we're doing in that aspect. You're an extension educator for the program that trains citizens to monitor aquatic invasive species populations. Tell us more about this program. How did it get started and how do you recruit the volunteers? We call this our AIS Detectors program, and it started um, from funding from the Environment and Natural Resources Trust Fund, so it's, it's Minnesotans' lottery dollars at work, um, and it's a really great partnership between University of Minnesota Extension and the Minnesota Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center, where we're taking um, the, the, the strengths of each, of each group and using that to help fill gaps and increase the capacity for aquatic invasive species work in Minnesota with passionate and involved members of our community from all across the state. So they'll, um, after, after completing our training, they, they get involved in a variety of different ways um, in, in improving the situation here. Um, as far as recruitment goes, you know, word is really starting to get out. Um, we just completed our third year of workshops, so we launched in 2017. Um, and um, we, you know, we'll, we'll spread the word via our mailing list and social media, kind of those standard routes. But we've also found that there's lots of county aquatic invasive species programs that are really seeing that value in having the trained volunteers that come out of this and um, are doing the work that they're doing. And they started to sponsor residents to go through and take the training, too. So we're seeing a lot of that um, kind of ground-up movement to kind of drive people into the program. Um, we're also recently featured as part of the University of Minnesota's Driven to Discover ad campaign, um, and that was really fabulous. Um, it's, it's really nice to see, you know, the work that we're doing be selected out of all of the really great things that happen at the University of Minnesota. Um, so it was really um, quite an honor and pretty validating for the work that we're doing. And they, they still have a video available, so I'll put a plug in for it because I, I think it's a really great film that they made, and it's at discover.umn.edu. How many monitors are involved in the program this summer? This year, we had 86 people come through the training. So when we kind of tap that on to the previous two years of workshops we've done, um, that means we've had 299 people in total now who have completed that core program to become um, a volunteer in the, in, in the AIS Detectors program. Well, let's talk more specifically about the volunteer monitoring programs. As you mentioned, there's a detector program. There was a program called Tracker and also Starry Trek. How do these programs differ from one another? And I do understand they're going through some changes right now, correct? Yeah, we have a lot going on. It's great. So um, the, the AIS Detectors volunteer program is kind of where we started. That's, that's where it all began, and, and it's really um, the program that I think gets the most attention to. Um, that's the one that I've mentioned where we're, we're partnering. There's locations across the state. We've had 299 people who have done that now, and it's fairly involved. Um, it's about 16 hours of, of work or of training um, to, to finish the program. And, and then we, we're asking that group of people then um, continually contribute service and do um, additional learning year by year as they, as they continue to be a part of our program. Some of the other things that we have going on 
You mentioned Starry Trek. It actually just wrapped up this past Saturday, so that was really exciting. I've been, I was entering data in right before our conversation, so we're still kind of getting everything in from that. But we also launched Starry Trek in 2017, and that was in response to some of the newer discoveries of Starry Stoneward in the state. So after, um, it was first found in Lake Coronis in Stearns County, and in late 2016, there was kind of a quick little flurry of new discoveries kind of right towards the end of the year. And we realized that with this new program that we had, we had a really great group of people who could help and go look for the species that people didn't know as much about. It's, it's not something that had been, um, there hadn't been as much education about as people likely saw it, but maybe didn't know what they had. Um, and, and that's where the idea for this was born. So we, we partner with Minnesota DNR. It has a sister program that happens in Wisconsin as well each year on the same day. And, and we work with um, local organizations to have local training sites across the state where people can show up in the morning, complete a training, head out to some of the area lakes, and then come back in and, and be done for the day. So um, we've had over 200 people participating that in each year, and then each year that group has surveyed over 200 public accesses in the state. What sort of qualifications do you look for in someone who is interested in these programs? There is no minimum qualification to join any of the programs that we offer. We really want them to be available to anyone in the state who has a passion for our precious water resources and wants to get involved um, and and kind of do their part to, to help um, make our water a better place. Does the online program train the volunteers to identify the invasive species? Yeah, it does. There's an online train to become part of that core course, the one that gets you in as a AIS detectors volunteer. Um, there's, it's a, there's two parts to it. So you have the online training. Um, that's what you do first. We, we estimate it's about eight hours of time. Um, it's, and it's a series of videos. Um, it teaches you everything from kind of some aquatic ecology basics to specifics about um, some of the aquatic invasive species in Minnesota, including tips on how to identify them and also how to tell them apart from some of the very common native lookalikes we have in the state. Tell us about the in-person training the volunteers undertake. Sure. So, yeah, after that online portion um, to that core course, then they come and they join us at an in-person workshop. Um, and that's a full-day event, and we really think they're a lot of fun. They have everything from really hands-on ID activities. We bring in preserved specimens so that people can practice what they learned online. Um, we go through, um, there's a series of videos that people can watch, and we'll do questions and answers afterwards. We get role-playing opportunities. So it, it's a really fun and, and active day. It really, it really goes by pretty fast. Where do these workshops take place? We offer the workshops all over the state. It changes each year. Um, it's usually about January that we announce where the workshops for the spring um, will be. Um, so, but we'll, we'll travel to spot anywhere. We try and um, look at where we've been and, and try to make sure that we have a workshop kind of near, especially some of our lake-rich regions um, and, and spread them about each year all the way from north to south and east and west. Tell us how the program has grown since it was launched in 2017. So I had mentioned um, in 2017 that that's when we started. I think our most impressive number is not necessarily the number of people who have completed, which is, is impressive. We had 
It's about tripled in size since, since we started in 2017. So I mentioned we're up to 299 people have completed it now. But what's really impressive is the number of hours that that group of people have done in, in service relating to aquatic invasive species. So at the end of 2017, um, they had there was about 2,000 hours of service reported to us. Um, but we just recently passed the 10,000-hour mark. So that's a five-fold increase um, in the amount of volunteer time that people who have come through the program are putting in to making a difference for our lakes, rivers, and streams and wetlands. We're talking with Megan Weber. She's an extension educator at the Minnesota Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center and University of Minnesota Extension. Megan's work focuses on the development and delivery of volunteer and citizen science programs that work towards solutions to aquatic invasive species problems. Are you looking to recruit additional volunteers for next year? Yes, we're always ready and excited for people who want to join in in the coming year. Um, So, yeah, we had um, 86 come through this last year. um, And we'll, again, we'll announce that in January, usually when those workshops happen. Um, We typically target um, late spring for them into maybe early summer, kind of um, getting people um, have it all be real fresh in their head before the ice comes off and, and we go back to um, summer life in Minnesota enjoying our, our water bodies. So um, we'll have the dates and locations that, that we'll, we'll have them available um, up on our website um, in, in, in the wintertime. How do the aquatic invasive species citizen scientists help fight against invasive species? What specific data do they collect for researchers? Our volunteers get involved in, in just about every aspect. When they're reporting information back to us on, on how they've been spending their time, um, we usually lump that out into four broader categories. Um, so that might be education or outreach. So examples of that might be um, lots of them have spent time staffing a booth at like a county fair or at the Minnesota State Fair where, where there's something going on um, right now. Um, and um, they bring information back to like their lake associations. Um, they can do stewardship, so that's kind of really hands-on-the-ground type work. There's people who have participated in handfuls and removing aquatic invasive species. Um, and there's that citizen science component. So that's doing work that helps contribute data back um, for the research. A big part of that is when, when they're out surveying for aquatic invasive species and they're reporting back that presence or absence data, both of which can be really critical, whether they found something and also um, if they searched and and didn't find something. Um, They also get a chance to connect directly with um, some of the researchers at the Minnesota Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center. Um, This year there have been some that have um, helped with surveying um, people at some of the public accesses. There have been um, volunteers who have um, joined in on research out on the water helping to sort plants or be an extra set of hands for researchers in the field. They've um, been out on some of the CARP projects. So um, there's a lot of areas that they're able to kind of um, get their hands dirty too with with the research happening. Um, And we have a final category that we call program support. And and that's kind of um, anything that that doesn't fit into the other categories, but it's really the stuff that happens in the background that are really critical parts to making aquatic invasive species programs run, which can be anything from like stuffing envelopes. Um, for Starry Trek, we give away um, tote bags to all the volunteers, and it has ID cards in it and rags to help clean your materials. 
Um, and we had volunteers come and help stuff over 200 bags for us this year, too. So they're, they're really important and helpful parts of the program that, that come in there. Besides the volunteer programs, how is the Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center working to combat the spread of these destructive plants and animals? I think in Minnesota we're really lucky to have something like the Research Center right here. Um, at the Research Center there's a real strong focus on research-based solutions to aquatic invasive species problems, and, and it kind of spans um, the whole gamut of, of where we want to be focusing, everything from um, how we can improve our prevention efforts, to um, better ways to, to have early detection of aquatic invasive species, to things like controlling and managing the species that we already have in the state. Um, there's been work towards solutions to lots of those problems, knowing that each species has a weakness, and we just kind of have to tease out what that might be. Um, currently, the research is focusing on about 11 different species. Um, many of those are ones that I've already um, mentioned, and they range from looking at things like real traditional control efforts, so looking at how we might um, be able to use things like herbicides or molluscicides to control some of the invasive plants or um, zebra mussels, um, to kind of new and cutting-edge research, um, for example, looking at, at if there's a place for genetic biocontrol in aquatic invasive species management. How can Minnesotans who don't have time to volunteer help combat the destructive effects of aquatic invasive species? All kinds of ways that um, people can make a difference, um, even from, from the comfort of home. Um, you know, I think some, some of the key things are really if, you, if you're using um, Minnesota's aquatic resources to make sure that, that you're cleaning off um, any equipment that you might have with you. It can be the shoes that you're using, um, your waders, um, boats and boats lifts, making sure that you're giving them appropriate dry time, um, you know, do, making sure that you're cleaning, trying to not jump between um, infested waters and uninfested waters in the same day. Um, but also um, sharing your knowledge, so things that you know if you want to look up more information, kind of talking about those things, keeping an eye out for people who maybe don't um, recognize things like the, the law we have in the state to pull our um, boat plugs out before we're traveling on public roadways after leaving a water body and, and just kind of point out, like, hey, make sure you're pulling your plug. Um, those, are, those are all really helpful ways to do that um, and make sure that you're making a difference, too, and, and also being sure that if you have um, pets, um, so um, like a goldfish or, or any other aquarium pet or water garden plant, that you're disposing of those properly as well. What more do we need to do in order to protect our waters from aquatic invasive species? I think the vast majority of Minnesotas are doing the right thing um, or want to be doing the right thing. So um, I, think, I think we need to keep working on um, that education component and kind of keep reaching those final percentages of people who either don't recognize what some of the rules are to help prevent the spread um, or who don't understand the importance of them. Um, and, and everyone can kind of find ways to get involved locally. Um, I think that's especially one of the things that we've noticed with the AIS detectors program is really hearing about the local efforts that spin up after people come through and get um, the education that they get through the program. Um, they, they've done some really neat things back home working with their neighbors and lake associations. So um, there's, there's always really great innovative ideas that, that come out of that too.
Where can listeners find out more about aquatic invasive species, such as how to identify them, prevent them from spreading, and how to volunteer for your program? You can find out about our program at www.aisdetectors.org. That's a really great place to start and kind of learn more about what we're all about. Um, There's also lots of great resources out there if you want to just learn more about aquatic invasive species. Um, If you visit the Research Center's website, which is maicirc.umn.edu, so it's maicirc.umn.edu, that is where you can find a link to an aquatic invasive species ID guide that we developed. Um, There's a place where you can download it yourself and view it online, or you can um, purchase it out of the bookstore, whichever you prefer. There's also great information there about some of the research that's happening as well as the species that they're focusing on. Um, And the Minnesota DNR webpage is also always a really great resource for information about um, invasive species in general, but also what the rules and regulations are in the state um, that that are there to help prevent that spread. And we'll also post those links on our website. Megan Weber is an extension educator at the Minnesota Aquatic Invasive Species Research Center and University of Minnesota Extension. Megan's work focuses on the development and delivery of volunteer and citizen science programs that work towards solutions to aquatic invasive species problems. Megan, thank you so much for joining us on Dialogue Minnesota. Thanks for having me, Jim. Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. Authoritarian governments are on the rise throughout the world, but there are indications that organized resistance to the policies these governments are implementing is underway. Next week on Dialogue Minnesota, a look at the protest movement in Hong Kong and how it may signal growing pushback to authoritarian leaders and governments. Be sure to visit us at DialogueMinnesota.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. I'm Jim Dubois. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. See you next time.